John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I want to talk today from this idea, from this subject, the Ten Commandments of Great Relationships. The Ten Commandments of Great Relationships. Let's open our heart and see what the Lord uh, is going to say to us today. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would anoint me to share what you've put on my heart and anoint all of us to hear it, to put it into practice, and to see it uh, come to pass in our life. We are, we are open. And we are expectant for you to speak to us today, for you to give us wisdom, for you to give us something from your word that could literally change our life, our families, and our relationships. So we are coming to you now and asking you to speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Well, in Exodus chapter 20, God gives us his top 10. So Moses uh, Throughout the Old Testament, you'll read this in Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, right there at the beginning of the scripture. You're going to find that Moses gave 613 laws. But if you boil all those down, you're going to get down to his top 10. And then if you take those 10 and you boil those down, you're going to get to two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think about those 10 commandments, it's pretty interesting. The first three are all about our relationship with God. And then the fourth one is kind of a bridge commandment. It's about honoring the Sabbath, which is going to affect our relationship with God and others. And then the last six of the Ten Commandments, they're all about relationships with others. This is pretty amazing because, again, when we honor God, when we obey God, when we're walking with God, it absolutely has to show up in our relationships. And I don't want to re-preach Um, messages that I've already done, but man, go back if you have not listened to the first four, because that's really kind of my whole point of this whole series is that as we have a walk with Jesus, as we have a relationship with God, it is going to absolutely impact our relationships with others. Well, now we get to Luke 13, or excuse me, John 13, and Jesus is having this final discourse with his disciples It is the conversation at the Last Supper, John 13 through John 17. And here Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command. It's not just that you have to love God or you have to love others, but it's love as I've loved you. So now there's a little bit of a difference here. Again, the the law is all about have to. Grace is all about want to. The law is all about I I have to do these things. Grace is about a transformed heart where, man, something supernatural has taken a hold of me. And now that because of I know I'm loved by God, I know I'm accepted by God, I know that God is for me, now I love God and I love others. And so Jesus gives us this new command, love like you're loved. And I just just thought today I I would give you Ten Commandments to Great Relationships. I just, I want to talk to you about some things today that are going to directly impact your relationships. Some things that I've learned over the years. I really just want to, I want to be your pastor today and I really want to be your friend today. I want to help you in your relationships. Uh, Some things that have helped me over the years. 
and no doubt will help you in every relationship, in your, in your marriage, in friendships, dating, uh, parenting, relationship with, with your parents, relationship with your kids, coworkers, the whole thing. Uh, these things I, I really do believe are going to help mold and shape you. And, and here's the first one. I'm, I'm kind of playing off the Ten Commandments here. Thou shalt walk in love. Thou shalt walk in love. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ has also loved us. We are to love like Jesus loves. Don't forget it. God is love. Real love is God defined and real love is God given. The scripture is impossible to obey unless you have a relationship with Jesus. Let me, let me say that. We, we don't just follow a book. We follow the author of the book. And you're going to need to have a relationship with Jesus that is gonna so mold and transform you that I can't just walk in love. I have to walk in love the way that he loves me. And, and I cannot separate that. I, I can't separate God from the Bible, and I can't separate the Bible from God. These two things go together. Never, never forget this, that it is impossible to obey unless you have a relationship with Jesus. And it's also impossible to truly have a relationship with Jesus apart from the Scripture. They go together. So I'm going to walk in love, but I'm going to have to know how he loves me or it'll never happen. Romans chapter five, verse five. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out on us and we can now experience this love, walk in this love, and share this love. It's available, it's possible. You can walk in love. You can walk in the supernatural love love of God. So in Luke 10, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. And of course, someone responds to Jesus. This is Luke 10, 29. He goes, uh, well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> I love that. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Someone's like, who, who is that? Because we, we all know people where it's easy to love them. And so Jesus responds to this man's question with a story about the Good Samaritan. Now, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jewish people. And basically, here's what Jesus is saying. Your neighbor is the person you don't like. Who's my neighbor? Who's the person that I have to love? It's the person that I don't want to love. I mean, it's easy for me to love my wife. It's easy for me to love my daughter. It's not easy, though, for me to love everyone. And what Jesus is teaching us is that we can have a supernatural love walk where we don't live in hate. We don't live in bitterness. We don't live constantly wanting the worst for others. Jesus said you can and you must love your neighbor. Now, this is only possible by the Holy Spirit. But when God gives you supernatural love, it becomes the marker, it becomes the proof 
that we really know Jesus. Thou shalt walk in love. Number two, thou shalt choose your relationships wisely. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This word corrupt means to wither and to spoil. Doesn't happen quick, but it happens. And Paul says you have to choose your relationships very carefully. Now, it doesn't mean we're mean to anybody, but it does mean that we are very careful about who we really let into our life, who is in our inner circle. So we're friendly to all, but we're friends with a few. We love all, but we're close to a few. We're not better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone. It's, it's not about that. It's just being careful that the people that you allow closest to you, you just have to know this. They're going to influence you. you. You can't escape it. So you have to be careful about the relationships that you choose. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. I want to say it like this. Your five closest relationships matter. Who knows you matter. Who you open up to matters. Remember that the Bible is a book of decisions, not destiny. And our, our life is going to be absolutely impacted by the relationships that we choose. We don't, we don't just kind of see who comes into our life. No, no, no. We choose the people closest to us. And those people are going to impact us. Those people are going to mold us and shape us. Those, there's, there's no way around it. You walk with the wise, you're going to get wise. You walk with fools, your life is going to be destroyed. So your future is decided by your daily decisions, by the words you say, and by the friends you choose. This is big. Now, now it's big for married people. You want to have a great marriage? You need to have great friends. Great, great marriages, I, I promise you, you find a great marriage and you're going to find a married couple that has other great married friends. You find a healthy marriage, you're going to find that they have great friendships with other married couples that are going in the right direction. It's, it's always there. And you find marriages that are struggling, and I promise you, you're going you're to find that that husband and wife, they are, they are connected to relationships that are actually pulling the relationship apart. And let me talk to you singles. You're, you're not going to find the right one in the wrong crowd. Ooh, I, I know there's a good amen that's happening right now on the other side of this camera. I can feel it. You're not going to find the right one in the wrong crowd. You're not going to find the right one at the club on a Friday night at 1 a.m. It's not going to happen. You, you choose the right friend group, and the right one will be in the right group. Uh, that, that's actually something that has been proven now that people with great relationships, a lot of times the way that they meet their friend group is in a great atmosphere. 
So they don't, they don't meet great friends at the bar. They don't meet great friends in unhealthy places. They meet great friends at, at like places where they're both serving, where they're both giving their life away. And that doesn't just mean church, but it could mean church, but it could also mean you know, helping uh, with a homeless shelter. It could mean uh, volunteering time at, at, at something like that. You, you get in a healthy environment and you meet the right people. Most of the time, if, if you're hanging with the wrong group, you're gonna date the wrong person. And that's why it is so important that we go to church. That's why it is so important we jump into a small group. That is why it is so important that we serve because we're gonna get around a better group. You've got to choose your relationships wisely. Are your relationships right now, are they bringing you closer to God? Or are they pulling you away from God? Are you able to be an influence in those relationships? Or are those relationships influencing you negatively? I have seen so many people that, it, that you look at them and you think, man, they really love God. Man, they really have faith. And just one wrong relationship. And it just, it just totally destroys them. And it doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen in a second. But it corrupts over time. We have to be so careful. Number three, thou shalt celebrate. Man, I'm looking for more celebrators and less haters. People who want to see others win. People who want to see others succeed. People who are excited about others. Friend, we got to get rid of jealousy, insecurity, resentment, feelings of inadequacy. All those emotions are going to steal God opportunities from your life. You got to learn to celebrate. You got to learn to cheer people on. You got to learn to celebrate other people's successes. Look at James chapter 3, verse 14. It says it like this, but if you harbor bitter and envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Verse 15, such wisdom. Now, now notice that. James is calling bitterness and envy and selfish ambition, he's, he's calling it wisdom. And, and he says, here's where this wisdom comes from. It doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly and unspiritual and demonic. James is saying there is a way of thinking. There is a, there is a way of wisdom that is earthly, that is worldly. And it's, it's all about bitterness and envy and selfish ambition. It's all about trying to get ahead. It's all about stepping on whoever I have to step on to, to get to the next level. It's all about tearing others down so that, so that I can be lifted up. And James says that is not the kingdom way. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of the kingdom. He says it, it makes sense in the world system. It's, it's how the world does it. It's wise to them, but it is not wise in heaven's eyes. Be a celebrator, not a hater. You know, one of those 10 commandments back in Exodus 20 is do not covet. Do not have an unhealthy desire for something that you don't have. We, yeah, we can covet money, we can covet possessions, we can cover, covet things like that. But I want to tell you, we can also covet people's callings and people's giftings, people's talents. 
And we can end up living our life missing out on what God wants to do in us and for us and through us because we're mad that we didn't get what they got. Friend, don't tear them down. Don't be jealous. Don't covet. Celebrate it. And then once you learn to celebrate other people's victories, you're going to find what God's called you to do. You're going to be able to celebrate your own gifts and talents and abilities. So, so many people have gifts, have a calling. They have something that God wants them to do, and they never step into it because they're obsessed with somebody else's calling. And that's why you've got to learn to celebrate we don't always choose our abilities. We don't always choose our talents. We don't always choose our gifting. But friend, we do choose what we do with them. I go back to Matthew 25, whether you're a one-talent person, a two-talent person, a five-talent person, whatever it is that God gives you, you gotta use that thing. You gotta steward that thing, and you gotta multiply that. Don't live your life wishing and praying for another person's life. Find out what God wants to do in your life and celebrate that and celebrate others. Or you'll live your whole life, like what James warns us, well, you'll live your whole life being bitter and being envious, being jealous, missing out on the thing that God has for you. Well, number four, thou shalt honor you want to have great relationships? You're going to have to learn how to honor. And friend, in a culture of hate, a culture of dishonor, a culture of sarcasm, a culture of tearing people down, a culture of division, we got to be people of honor. To be a person of honor doesn't mean that we always believe people are worthy of honor. We're, we're saying, no, we're people of honor. I'm going to be a man of honor. I'm going, to, I'm going to be a man that doesn't tear down. I'm going to be a man that speaks life. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a, a, a man of God. I'm going to be a person who, who chooses to see the best in others. Honoring does not mean that we cannot disagree. But honor means that we choose to see the value of a person as the creation of God made in the image of God who Jesus is calling us to love. You gotta be a person of honor. You're never gonna go anywhere in the kingdom with dishonor. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says it like this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I want you to, I want you to get this image, above. I'm, I'm lifting others. I'm honoring others. I'm, I'm staying humble. And I, I'm going to let God elevate me. I'm going to let God promote me. I'm going to let God favor me. I'm not going to, I'm not just going to try to tear down. I'm actually going to live my whole life lifting up. And then I'm going to believe for God to do for me what I've done for others. I, I have believed this principle for years. I have done all that I can do to be a person who lifts others, 
who, who sees the value in others, who, who chooses not to dishonor even when I've wanted to. And I'm telling you over and over again, I've seen God's favor and I've seen God honor me, honor my faith, give me a voice, um, lift my life, do, do things with my life that I would have never believed. And it's not because I'm the most gifted or the most talented or the most holy or the best this or the best that. I think God has just seen over my entire adult life. I'm just, I'm trying to lift people above. I'm trying to be a person of honor. God sees that and God will see that with you. Honor. Number five, thou shalt forgive. <laughs> now I did a whole week on forgiveness, so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep it moving. There, there's a whole sermon on it that you can get. But I just want to remind you that to forgive is to let go. To let go. Everyone out loud, come on, let's all say that together. Say, let go. Come on, one more time, out loud. Come on, say, let go. Now, you just got to understand this, that if I am holding on to what was, I'll never be able to receive what God has for me next. I cannot receive God's new and God's now until I let go of what was. For forgiveness sets you up for a better future. Doesn't change your past. Doesn't alter your past. Doesn't make what they did right. But it does open your life up again to receive all that God has for you. Number six, y'all doing okay? I'm on, I'm on six already. I got a 10-point sermon. This is the longest, this is the most points I've ever had in a sermon. I'm a three-point sermon man, but I'm just, I'm feeling this and I want to give them all to you. Uh, number six, thou shalt not lie. Lie. Let me, let me give you a scripture on why you should never lie. You're gonna love this. John chapter eight, verse 44. When he, that's the devil, when, when he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me tell you why you never want to lie, because you never want to speak the same language as the enemy of our souls. I never, I never want to be on his side. I never, I never want to talk like him. I never want to think like him. I never want to treat people like him. And Jesus says that, uh, that when anytime the devil speaks, he speaks in his native language. And anytime he speaks, he's lying. He's the father of lies. This is how Jesus describes the devil. So I never want to lie. I want to do all I can not to lie because I never want to sound like my enemy. And understand this. Even if Satan was telling the truth, it would be a lie. If, if you walked outside today and the sky's blue and the devil said the sky's blue, he'd be lying. Let, let, me, let me help you here. Because it's more than just what he says. It's his intent. The devil always uses words to deceive. So lying is more than just 
not telling the truth. Lying is also using words to your advantage to deceive others. And I never want to manipulate with words. Last week I talked about a scripture from Ephesians that says each word is a gift. I always want to make sure that my words are a gift to others. And I'm never using my words as a weapon against anybody. Let me just give you three scriptures really quick because I know it's probably getting real quiet over there right now. Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Okay, do I want God to detest me or do I want God to delight in me? Think about that. Just, just ask yourself that question. Which one do you want? Do you, do you want God to, to be excited about your words or to detest your words? I, I want God to delight in my words. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, check this out. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Look at that, speaking the truth. And then he says, you'll mature. There there is always a marker that I'm looking for for people who are mature. It's not age. It's not how long they've been going to church. It's not how many worship songs they know. I want to know that right there. Let me me tell you if you know you're spiritually mature or not. Do you tell the truth? Because if you tell the truth, you are maturing. This is a sign of maturity. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever. Come on, business owners. Tell the truth. Your business will endure But a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Let's be people of truth. Let's be people who tell the truth. Let me remind you about lies. Lies will rob us of our peace. Lies grow and lies rob us of our confidence. The, the, the reason that I say lies grow is because every time you lie, you got to tell another lie to cover that lie, and then you got to tell another lie to cover that lie, and then that lie, you got to cover that lie. Listen, be a person of truth even if it hurts. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, the wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. Let me, let me tell you something. When, when we get into lies... We are constantly having to flee and cover up the last lie we said, but the righteous. When we speak righteous, truthful words, when we become men and women of our word, men and women of integrity, we can then step into boldness. Come on, I want to live my life bold as a lion. I want to to sleep well at night. I don't want to be covering up things. Thou shalt not lie. Number seven, thou shalt run. Everybody say run. Come on, one more time, everybody say run. Thou shalt run from sexual sin. Now those are not my words, they're Paul's words. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Run from sexual sin. I, I love that Paul, he didn't say resist. <laughs> he didn't say pray against. He said run. In other words, don't. Put yourself in situations where you're going to be tempted. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Maybe you've heard this before. Well, all all sin is sin. Sin is sin. No, 
Paul says that sexual sin is different than all other sin because it affects our body. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. I'm sinning against myself. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Here's what Paul's saying. Don't separate the sacred and the spiritual from the flesh. He's saying they're connected. Don't, Don't make God and Jesus into something that you connect to when you pray or you connect to on Sundays. He's saying that your, that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. What Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to get us to not separate secular and sacred, but he's trying to get us to understand that every part of our life is now intertwined, connected to the things of God. You do not belong to yourself. Think about that. In a a day of sexual liberation, the Apostle Paul says, we do not belong to ourselves, for God bought you with a high price. What was that price? It was the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died for us. He paid a price for us. He bought us back from sin, bought us back from the devil, brought us back from, from spiritual darkness and death. We were bought with a high price, so you must honor God. How? With your body. In other words, we don't just honor God with prayers that we pray or honor God by reading the Bible, but, but literally, even with our sexuality, we honor God. Now, I want to say something about sex. Sex is not shameful. Sex is not dirty. Sex is beautiful. And it is sacred. Sex is a gift from God. But he gave us a place to express our sexuality. It is in the covenant of marriage. So so sex is not dirty. Sex is not wrong. But it is sacred. And there there is a God-ordained place for you to express yourself sexually. And I say sexual sin because these are the kind of words that God would use in the scripture, you'll be reading the Bible and you're, you'll hear things like sexual immorality or, or fornication, these, these kind of words, lust. All of, all of these terms are the same. They are, they are sexual expression outside of a covenant of marriage. So look what Jesus says about marriage, Matthew 19, verse four. Haven't you read, he replied. Now Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Notice this. Jesus says that whenever we have a sexual relationship, it's more than just physical. There There is a divine supernatural thing that happens. There's a connection that happens. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let me just say that when Jesus says what God has joined together, let no one separate, he's not simply just talking about divorce or the ending of a marriage. He's saying, don't try to change God's design. And maybe you're sitting there going, but, but I'm single, man. What about us? Or, or I'm, I'm dating this person. We, we really love each other. What, what do I do? You wait. <laughs> You wait 
until you get married. I can't wait. Yeah, you can. Sure you can. Of course you can. You're not an animal. You don't have to act out on every instinct that you have. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, you can resist sexual temptation. And by the way, you better when you're single because it's not like that's just going to go away when you get married. If you can't resist sexual temptation as an unmarried person, don't tell yourself, don't believe the lie that you'll be able to resist when you are married. Because just because you get married doesn't mean that you lose your attraction for other people. Now, you don't act on it. I want to tell you, I know this is difficult and it's very countercultural, but I want to tell you something that by the grace of God, you can honor God with your body. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is with you. The Spirit of God is upon you, and the Spirit of God will help you. Can I get a good amen from somebody? I, I, hope, I hope not the whole church walked out on me. I hope, I hope you're still there. Let me tell you something. That when you begin to honor God like this, lust will lose its power. Lust will lose its power. God's hand is on you. God's grace is on you. And, and you can live your life God's way, and you'll see the blessing of it. Number eight, this is probably, uh, this is probably uh, very, uh, <laughs> very appropriate after my last point. Thou shalt not cancel. <laughs> Don't give in to this craziness of cancel culture that is in our world right now. We can disagree. You can have informed opinions. You can vote your values. You can stand for what you believe in. You can share your convictions. But, but please refuse to join the mob cancel culture of our day. We can disagree with an honoring spirit. I can communicate my values with the love of God. I can stand for truth with a spirit of grace, speaking the truth in love. Just, just don't give in to this thing that, that, that you have to believe that if, if I disagree with you, I hate you. And if I disagree with you, I, I have to cut all ties. No, 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 don't, don't give in to that. Don't give in to that. Look at Galatians 5.15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You'll be destroyed by each other. Look at that. All the way back in Galatians, they're dealing with the cancel culture. They're devouring each other, destroying each other. Paul said, this, this is going to destroy the church if you get into this. Don't, don't, let that, don't let that thing get on you. Again, but stand for your beliefs. Be, be a person of truth. Be, be, a, be a person of, of conviction, but don't join this, this demonic thing of our day that, that we, we have no value for each other and we're willing to just end things and end relationships and cut ties. And, uh, we just, we just got to be very careful. Give grace. You're going to need it. We're all going to need it. Number nine, thou shalt not 
gossip. Come on, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments of great relationships. Thou shalt not gossip. Oh, man, you're never going to have great relationships if you've gotten into gossip. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 7, the mouths of fools are their undoing. And their lips are a snare to their very lives. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. Gossip is like eating filet mignon at a beautiful steakhouse. It just, it's just good. And it goes down to the inmost parts. The, the proverb writer says, be careful about gossip because it's easy. It's easy to do. And it feels good when you do it, but he says it's going to go down to your inmost parts. If, if you read this in the Hebrew language, he's literally saying it's going to get down into your soul. One of the scariest things about gossip is that you're not only tearing down another person, but you and the person you're talking to are going to believe that, and it's going to get down in your soul. We, we say the worst possible thing about that person and then we end up believing it, and they end up believing it. Never say something about someone that you wouldn't say to someone. Check that out on the screen. Never say something about someone that you wouldn't say to someone. Refuse it, refuse it. Refuse to gossip and refuse to listen to gossip. Just refuse it. As awkward as it might be, if, if people are talking, just, just ask yourself a quick question in your heart. What, what would that person think right now? Is, are, are we saying good things about them? Are we speaking well of them or are we tearing them down? And at that moment, make the choice to either end the conversation or remove yourself from the conversation. You can do it. You can do that. We, we do not need to join into that. Don't, don't let that get in your heart because it's going to get into your innermost being. It's going to get down into your soul. When, when we gossip, we create kind of the worst image about a person. Then when he, we believe that, we speak that over others, man, it is a relationship destroyer. I'm not saying you can't talk to a close friend and try to get wisdom and try to get understanding and try to decide what you should do. I'm not saying that, but, but I am saying that we are refusing to destroy with our words. We're refusing it. And we're refusing to have conversations about people. And we're going to choose to have conversations with people. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, did someone sin against you? Matthew 18. Someone sin against you? Go talk to them. Man, if we just honored that one scripture in Matthew 18, church would be radically different. But you know what we do? Someone sins against us, and we talk about them. Jesus said, go to them. Talk, go, go talk to them. Don't, don't go mean. Don't go with a confronting spirit. Don't go trying to run them over. Go with Christian love and humility and say, hey, this happened and it hurt me, or this happened, I don't understand. I'm telling you, your life will be so much better and your relationships will be so much healthier if you'll refuse gossip. Lastly, point number 10 of my 10-point sermon, thou shalt pray. Oh, man, become a person of prayer. 
James chapter 5, verse 13. Any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praises. Anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Look at someone around you right now. Just kind of bump them with your elbow. Tell them, I'm praying for you. Come on, tell them that right now. Come on. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. The, the scripture says, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Friend, never forget this. Prayer releases healing. Prayer brings freedom from addiction and sin. Prayer connects us to God's power. Prayer invites heaven's possibilities. Prayer removes and replaces worry. Prayer is powerful. Everything that I just, the first nine points that I just gave you can go from a I have to to a I want to in prayer. Like, man, I really need to, I need to stop gossiping. I have to. Or, man, I guess I, need to, I guess I need to do this. Or I guess I have to do that. No, no, no. You get close to the Holy Spirit, you become a person of prayer. You'll want to do these things. You'll want to speak life. You'll want to celebrate others. You'll want to, you'll want to live in purity. You'll want to speak the truth. You'll want to stop. There, God will change you from the inside out out when you have a relationship with the Spirit of God and you're not going to have a relationship with God if you're not praying and if you're not in the Word. But as you begin to pray, as you begin to surrender your life to Jesus, everything that I taught is not just some like morality or some good religious things that good Christian people should do. No, no, no. These will become principles that you live. You'll have a supernatural love for God and a supernatural love for people. And you'll want to live like this. You'll want to live like this. When you begin to pray, the Holy Spirit becomes the leader. He becomes the guide. And he becomes the enforcer of your life. Become a man of prayer. Become a woman of prayer. How do I, how do I start praying? You just start. You choose to. You, you pray through the awkwardness. You pray through the fumbling of words, you, you pray through, maybe not feeling it, and you, you begin to be a person of prayer. You, you, you choose to become a prayer warrior for your friends, that even your friends know, your family knows. Man, if I'm going through something, they'll pray for me. They'll, they'll, they, will, they will lay their hands on me. They will talk to God on my behalf. They will become an intercessor. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's, a, it's an awesome word. It just means a middleman. It, it, it's, it's someone that stands before God on your behalf. You, you become an intercessor for your friends and family. And in prayer, God not only begins to do a work in your relationships. Here's what's most important. In prayer, God begins to do a work in you. Pray. Watch what God will do. These are principles that I have lived by and I have honored and I have obeyed for decades. 
And man, I'm telling you, God has honored these steps. God has honored these things in my life. Because they're right from the word. He's always going to honor his word. I'm telling you, you can have healthy relationships. Life-giving relationships. God can heal your relationships. Believe him. In Jesus' name, amen.